Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Man, we're going to praise him and lift his name today. By means of announcements this morning, uh, just remember that the last the last Sunday of this month in the evening service, uh, we'll be celebrating uh, the graduates from this past year, uh, Brother Alex Mason uh, from college and some junior high graduates as well, uh, Mariah and I believe also Raven uh, Adams, amen, and we'll have uh, some tables set up in the back of the sanctuary kind of highlighting their uh, journey some, uh, somewhat and things that they bring, memorabilia that uh, indicates their their journey and such as graduates and so um, still yet a little different format than what we would normally do but yet we're still trying to make it somewhat accommodating to uh, to to accommodate that rather uh, for these mile markers in these individuals lives uh, because those milestones are are important amen and so we're thankful for them also here at the church we're going to continue I say continue, continue our discipleship series with a new lesson. We started this discipleship series all the way back in January, at the beginning of January. And so we've been doing this, and it will probably almost take us, I would say, uh, nigh unto the end of the year. Uh, But nonetheless, the purpose of the series is to take us on the journey uh, from perhaps not knowing the Lord, having any relationship with God, and then coming to Him by faith and repentance and baptism the infilling of the Holy Ghost and then growing in other areas of our life like spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting and and such that help maintain and help us grow uh, into the image of who the Lord is and uh, so we're continuing on that journey today I'm going to be reading from uh, the, the book of Joel chapter number one also be reading from the book of Daniel chapter number nine Last week, we finished up talking about prayer. Today, we're going to talk about fasting. That's another spiritual discipline uh, that is, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to say it's a spiritual discipline that is necessary uh, concerning our growth uh, in the Lord and considering just combating some of the things that we do uh, in this real uh, Christian journey that we are on. I dared to say that in these times right now, a good old mixture of prayer and fasting would be excellent. Uh, We've even had uh, nations, our nations and others at this time that have called their people as a nation to days of prayer and such. And so some things, as we find out in Scripture, only come by prayer and fasting. So Joel chapter number 1 and verse number 14, the scripture speaks these words. It says, sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. The book of Daniel chapter number 9 verses 3 through 4 speak these words. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. So again, our subject matter is fasting today. Uh, I know I stand between you and your lunch, so this is very appropriate. Uh, to talk about fasting right now. Amen. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, ask his hand upon us as we discuss this very, very important subject matter for our spiritual growth. Amen. And maintaining today. Father, I come to you this morning. Lord, I am so, Lord, in debt to you. Lord, you have been so good to me. God, you've been good, Lord, to this church and to this people. Lord, and we're appreciative of that. I pray, God, you would anoint us now, both Lord speaker and listener. I pray, O Lord, that we could take, Lord, these timeless truths of your word, apply them to our lives, God, to practice them in our lives. 
Lord, that we would see, Jesus, the benefits, Lord, of these things. God played out, Lord, within the life, Lord, even of the church collectively. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so this is a very important discipline. And uh, I would dare to say that sometimes that we may place more emphasis on prayer than we do fasting. However, I don't know if necessarily you're going to elevate one of these above the other, but they should have equal footing with one another. And many times throughout God's word, they are found in conjunction with one another. There are over 70 references in the Bible to fasting. When men and women had taken time to uh, refrain from the physical nourishment, uh, to delve perhaps a little bit deeper into the spiritual nourishment. Both the Old and New Testament leaders throughout the scripture uh, have been moved upon, called upon, assembled at certain times for the purpose of fasting. We read in the scripture there are a very select few in the word of the Lord uh, that ventured out on what were 40-day fast. okay? Uh, Jesus, of course, did a 40-day fast. Uh, Moses in the Old Testament, we see him on a 40-day fast, and likewise, Elijah on a 40-day fast. Uh, so three out of a big uh, spectrum of people that ever did a 40-day fast. Let me tell you this. You go be called to a 40-day fast. You need it to be that. You better be called to a 40-day fast because uh, that is that is not uh, typical, but that does not then uh, make us shy away from the idea of fasting, whether it be a meal or a day or a week or whatever it may be. And so we want to look at this morning how fasting should and ought to be a regular part of our devotion and our service to the Lord. It should be a part of our regular practice. And so whenever we talk about fasting, it may come to our mind exactly what is fasting. And I, I want to say this morning that like whenever I read Joel chapter number 1 and verse 14 where the Bible says, sanctify ye a fast. All right, sanctify ye a fast. The word sanctify meaning to set apart. Set apart ye a fast. Um, what is fasting? Let me tell you this. You must set apart a fast. And what that means is this. It's not that you at the end of the day notice that you missed, you missed two meals, and then you say, well, I fasted two meals. No, no, that, that's not fasting. You, you sanctify a fast. You intentionally and purposely set that apart that you're going to refrain. You happen to miss a meal because you was driving or you was busy with something else. That You can't look back and say, well, I fasted those two, but no, that's not, that's, that's not how it is. Whenever we fast, the scripture portrays it, when we fast, we abstain. From physical nourishment, we abstain. We abstain from physical nourishment, food for a specified period of time, and that period, of course, may vary uh, from time to time. It could be, as I said, it could be a single meal, it could be a couple meals, it could be an entire day. It, it may be several days. You might do a week fast, uh, or you you may be refraining. As uh, many do today, they do the Daniel fast uh, for 21 days. And you're, you're refraining, the best that I have words I'm putting in, you're refraining from pleasant food, okay? You're, you're refraining, you're refraining some, from some pleasant food. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the particulars of a Daniel fast maybe later on. Uh, but you're doing this for a period of time. And so whenever we fast, we are deliberately turning our attention from the physical things, physical bread and meat toward the spiritual things, all right? Because whenever we deny food in these bodies, we are, we are denying a, a, a natural desire of the human body, a carnal natural desire of the human body. And so when we deny that, we are then in turn uh, concentrating or should shift from that desire and concentrate upon spiritual things, because this great America that we live in, and I still think America is great, in spite of uh, the opinions out there, America is still a very, very tremendous and great country, which we know from history to be founded upon uh, Judeo-Christian ethics. And as a result of that, we see and have historical evidence throughout the history of this country, again, where people, even our nation's leaders, 
have called our society at times both, maybe not so much today, the fasting aspect. They still call us to prayer. But years ago, our national leaders called us at times to times of prayer and fasting. Uh, for public devotion to God whenever uh, we were in positions that they needed guidance or we needed some type of direction. I want to share just a few of those with you this morning. I think it's important every once in a while to delve into the histories of our, our America and just showcase some of these moments where we were called as a nation to prayer and fasting. In 1623, William Bradford, the governor of the Plymouth Colony, he proclaimed a fast to entreat God to save the vital corn crops. Now, you, you might think, what? We got corn all around us today, you know. But back then, whenever that was more, uh, there was a scarcity, if you will, of the land of the crops. He called the people to a fast to entreat God that he would help. In 1636, a law was passed allowing the governor and his assistants, I quote, to command solemn days of humiliation by fasting and also for thanksgiving as occasion shall be offered. And so they in that day, the, 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 the later, the early 1600s even uh, brought about a law so that they could call these solemn days of fasting for uh, their people. In 1774, George Washington, our first president, proclaimed a national fast day to advert a possible crisis with Great Britain. Now, folks, that's, I mean, that just amazes me uh, that among the calling Congress or having the Senate and the House come to bear, they had the people come to a place of fasting to somehow avert perhaps this crisis. In 1798, President John Adams proclaimed a day of solemn humiliation, fasting and prayer to avoid war crisis with France. In the 1860s, our President Abraham Lincoln called for three separate days of national humiliation of prayer and fasting to help restore, listen to this, to help restore national peace and unity during the Civil War. He says, we're going to fast and pray because there's civil unrest within our nation. Right? That's what Civil War was. Civil unrest on our own soil. Maybe we need to follow the old guys of Abraham Lincoln today right now and go back as a nation to some fasting and to some prayer. Amen. And so we have been called to that as a nation throughout the period of time. Amen. Of this abstaining. And you know many times whenever in history it spoke of calling us to fasting and prayer, it spoke of a day of humiliation. We'll talk about that in a moment because fasting has a means of, of humiliating, not in the sense of uh, in a negative way, but in the sense of uh, allowing your flesh not to be prideful. All right. And so some of the reasons why we should fast. Number one, we should fast because Jesus declared that his disciples would fast in his absence. The Bible says in Mark chapter number two, verses 18 through 20. All right. The Bible says, and the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, speaking to Jesus, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But the disciples, thy disciples, fast not. And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So uh, there are people saying, say, John's disciples fasting, the Pharisees' disciples fasting, but Jesus, your disciples are not fasting. Jesus is telling them, while the bridegroom is there, he's, he's making really reference to himself. While I'm still around, uh, should, uh, why, should the children fast? He says, they will fast. They cannot fast while I'm around. Here's what he says, but the days will come. When the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. And then, all right, when and then needs to be connected. When the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. So Jesus says, my disciples will fast, but they will be fasting whenever I am absent from them in human flesh upon this earth. And so ever since the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been absent of a fleshly body, a man of God manifested in the flesh upon the earth. And so 
as they fasted then in his absence, so we must be continuing to fast now, amen, in his absence. As we long, in reality, as we long and wait for the return of the bridegroom. Uh, in the Old Testament times, we see often that fasting was a part of the mourning process. Fasting was a part of the grieving process after someone had passed away, after someone had died, when they lost a loved one. Many times they would set certain days aside for mourning and for fasting. Amen. And so also fasting along with mourning was a reaction to tragic events that may have happened within their lives. And so it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because uh, when you think of culturally that they would have fast after the loss of a loved one, refrained from food. And now uh, the day that we put someone in the ground, we have everybody over to the church for a meal. I'm just saying, you know, it's just somewhat, it's somewhat different. But back then, in, in biblical times, that's not the way it was. For instance, in 1 Samuel 31 and verse 13, the Bible says, And they took their bones, this is speaking of the bones of Saul and his sons who were taken in battle. If you remember, their bodies were affixed to the walls of Bashan, and uh, the, the men of Jabesh Gilead came, and they took the bones of Saul and his sons and buried them under a tree, the Bible says, at Jabesh, and fasted seven days. Amen. Fasted seven days. It was a part of their mourning and their grieving process. It aided them. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 4, And it came to pass when I heard these words... What Nehemiah is referring to, he heard the words concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. He had asked some of those that had come from Jerusalem how, how be things there. And they're like, everything is in ruins. Uh, it's still just dilapidated. And so upon hearing that, the Bible says, Nehemiah then sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so here again, Jesus, we fast because his disciples fasted in his absence, but we also, there's nothing wrong when we are dealing with tragic events and moments to go to a place of prayer and fasting. Amen. Hallelujah. And so even in Mark chapter number 2, whenever Jesus was speaking of his disciples fasting, again, it could be tied and tethered to the fact that they were grieving and mourning, maybe not his Physical loss as a dead body in the ground because he resurrected, but because it's his physical absence from them, all right? And so, you know, no, normally when the bridegroom is around and, and all of those of the wedding is there, it's a time of festivity, it's a time of celebration, but when the bridegroom's taken from them, of course, there is a grief and a mourning and a fasting that, that accompanies that. As we constantly wait again, though, we know that he told us that he was going to return, and so we we are fasting, we are praying, amen, in our devotion to him as we're waiting for that return. But thank God one of these days when he does return and he takes his church away, what do we have in those moments? We'll have a marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? What a great day to bring a fasting to an end, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know what's all going to be on the menu, uh, but I can tell you this, that it will be beyond what we have had, amen, before. And so, Part of the purpose of fasting, again, as Christians, is, is to mourn our departed bridegroom as it is of right now and yearn for his coming. And here's something that we must take in consideration then as Christians and our Christian mature, maturity and our walk with the Lord. If fasting is indicative of people that are mourning and awaiting because of the absence of their Savior, the absence of their bridegroom, Right? Because we're awaiting for him. I'm just posturing this to you today. Could then the lack of fasting reveal that we're content with his absence? Maybe we have placed and found our hope in things not eternal but temporal. Hmm? And so, 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 you know, just something for consideration, just to posture there before you today. But we also, we engage in fasting because the, the early church, the early church participated in times and left examples to us of fasting as well. Many of the early Christians all times were found 
fasting. Uh, it was a legacy, if, if you want to call it that, that they left uh, New Testament and even us believers of today, a pattern that we should follow. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 23, the Bible says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And so they've ordained elders in the church and they've prayed with fasting. This was a practice, a part of the church. Another a place in scripture that we see mention of this. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 4 through 5. But in all things, look at the wording here. But in all things approving ourselves. As the ministers of God in much patience. This is how we approve ourselves. In much patience in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. These are, fastings is among many of the ways in which we approve ourselves or we show ourselves or prove ourselves is in our fastings. That was the example of the early church as Paul spoke to the church of Corinth. And so these are just a couple of reasons of why that we fast. But some of the things that we give consideration to, we want to call them facts or tidbits, if you will, concerning fasting. Fasting provides... The individual, Christian in particular, with spiritual benefits. All right? Now here, let's get real practical for a moment. There are real health benefits. All right? There's real health benefits to fasting. A big uh, rave today is intermittent fasting. All right, there's real health uh, benefits to fasting. There's weight control benefits. There's uh, the health of your body and your brain, they say. They say it may even allow you to live longer. Health benefits to fasting, all right? But the purpose of the church's fasting is not so much so the health benefits as it is the spiritual benefits, all right? And Fasting, I, I will give you the benefit of the doubt here when it comes in practice. Fasting is a very physical event. <laughs> but it has spiritual implications for us as well. And many of the spiritual benefits of fasting uh, we'll look at here perhaps just a little later in, in our lesson. But there are spiritual benefits. And fasting in the word of the Lord is among our artillery of spiritual weapons, all right? We know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and we know the Bible tells us that, that, uh, that, that, that uh, our weapons are not carnal, right, but mighty through God. And one of those weapons, of course, that is, is not necessarily carnal, but it is a physical act, but it is, has spiritual implications, is, of course, fasting. It, it gives us the ability to use as a spiritual weapon in our everyday lives. Um, I want to I go somewhere. And guys, I don't think I necessarily uh, gave you this verse of scripture. But in Luke chapter number 4, they can probably get it for me pretty quickly. And Luke chapter number 4 is one of the gospel settings where Jesus was in his 40-day wilderness experience. That 40-day fasting experience. That 40-day being tempted of the devil experience or tested and tried by the devil and it was during Jesus's 40-day fast that he successfully denied the testing of the devil all right uh, along with the word saying it is written but he was in a 40-day fast uh, when he was denying the testing of the devil now here's something and I want to just read verses 1 and 2 because and I even read it it's in Matthew 2 Matthew 4 it's in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 but in Luke 4 is the one that I'm highlighting here this morning and I read this, uh, uh, Brother Mason, Brother Mason's here this morning. We're glad for all of the motorad workers that are able to be here today. Uh, but nonetheless, um, helping us with our live stream. Uh, but nonetheless, when I read this, uh, something caught me that I just maybe perhaps read over before. And that is, which, which really came first? Or did it happen simultaneously? Which came first? Did, did, did the Lord uh, begin to be tempted by the enemy? Or was he already fasting? The Bible says in Luke 1, Four and verse one, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And look how verse two then begins here for us: being forty days tempted of the devil, and then it states, "And in those days he did eat nothing." 
And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. I'm, I'm not here to get into big theological discussion, but um, which came first? The temptations or the fast? Which got out of the gate first? The temptation or the fast? Because Luke almost relays it like he was being 40 days tempted and then, as a side note, and in those days of temptation, he ate nothing, conveying to us that he fasted. The reason why I'm posing that to you this morning like that is this. So we look at this two different ways. Did he start on a fast and then was being attacked because he was fasting? Or was he being attacked and went to war by engaging in fasting? That's just there for your thinking, all right? Hallelujah. But nonetheless, it does declare to us in Matthew 4, if you were to look at Matthew 4, and go back to the other harmony of the gospel that, that comes to speak about the same wilderness experience, it declares, it declares that the purpose of the wilderness was the temptation. I'm just going to go there real quickly, just so you just don't take my word for it. Matthew 4 and 1, the Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So, the Spirit guided him for the sole purpose, according to Matthew. If we take, you know, the purpose of the Gospels and the harmony, as we often call it, the harmony of the Gospels, is that you take these same stories that are found perhaps in the different four or the three, and when you take them together, you get the whole picture of what's actually taken place. All right? And so he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness for the purpose, according to Matthew, for temptation. Amen. And there was then the not eating and the fasting that took place as well. Perhaps, I'm just saying perhaps, the Lord says, I'm going to, pull out, I'm going to pull out the weapon of fasting along with the word for the purpose against this temptation. All right? And so fasting, as I've already alluded to somewhat, fasting should be accompanied with prayer. We see many times throughout the scripture that fasting and prayer is spoken of, partnered together, one supplementing the other. I'll tell you this just, just, just as a pastor naturally uh, today, that it is a good practice, it is a good practice that when you are fasting to couple that with prayer. And what I mean is this, is when you are fasting from that meal, whether it be breakfast or dinner or perhaps all day, that whenever that time is that you would normally eat that you're refraining from, spend that same time in prayer. Spend that same time in prayer. Spend that same time with the word of God. And that's just a uh, me from experience in a practical stance. That, that is a good way to practice fasting. Not just in your refrain, but fill it with something where you would have had something natural. Fill it with something spiritual. Spend it in time in prayer and, and with reading the word of the Lord. Amen. And so fasting in scripture is a way that we can afflict and humble ourselves before the Lord. The scripture many times uh, brings in this idea of afflicting our, our, our humanity, afflicting our flesh, because humbling ourselves before God, we have scriptural precedence that this is very necessary for us. I'm just going to run through a few scriptures. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto what? The humble, the humble. He gives grace unto them. The Bible says, And whatsoever ye shall exalt, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. It's necessary. It's important. He says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season. And so humility or humbling ourselves before God is vitally important. It gives us grace. It, it sets us in the position to be exalted, not by ourselves, but by God. And one of the means in which we can humble ourselves is through and by the means of fasting. Amen. In the Old Testament, the Bible is where it many times speak of this idea of fasting as afflicting ourselves. Ezra chapter number 8 and verse number 21, the Bible says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our Substance. 
speaks of this afflicting themselves, which is a reference really to fasting. They're called uh, uh, that solemn assembly for fasting. And there's two phrases really I'll point out to you in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21. He says, then I proclaimed the fast. And he did this, look, for the purpose to seek of him a right way, to seek of the Lord a right way. They had a decision to be made. They had a decision to be made. And they seen fit that a way in which to discern uh, the right decision from God that they needed to incorporate fasting. Uh, in, in doing so. And please do not negate uh, the importance of fasting along with your prayer. Amen. And because whenever we fast, we bring our body, as the Apostle Paul spoke, we bring our body in 1 Corinthians 9 27, we bring our body in subjection. You know it? Anybody that's ever fasted, understand it, take willpower to say, no, not lunch today. All right? And if you do that for several meals or a day or for several days, you understand. The discipline of bringing your body under subjection whenever the headaches start, right? And that deep groaning of your body and the weakness comes, uh, so on and so forth. You bring in your body under subjection, all right? We're, in those moments, we're placing the priority of the spirit over the priority of the flesh. We're, we're bowing to the will of the inner man, right? The spirit that lives inside of us, all right? And so, again, fasting is often uh, undertaken during times of crisis or great need. We see this in the scripture. Even Israel, the nation of Israel, were called at different times to fast. But I want to underscore again because of where we are with the pandemic and protests and all this stuff. Israel sought God's help uh, against or concerning a tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was at odds with the other tribes. There was that civil disruption again. And the Bible says in Judges 20 and verse 26, Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came into the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until even and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So here again is a civil uh, disruption in the nation of Israel. The other tribes against Benjamin, Benjamin against them. They said, you know what? We need, we're, we're, we're not going to... <laughs> We're not going to start casting opinions left and right. <laughs> We're going to take this to the Lord in prayer and accompany it with fasting. The Bible even speaks to us that the people of Nineveh proclaimed a fast after they heard the words of Jonah, how the Lord was going to destroy the city of Nineveh. They heard the displeasure of the Lord. You can look at it. Let's look at it now in John chapter number, Jonah rather, Jonah chapter number three and verse number five. And I want to get there myself because there's another verse of scripture I'm going to use. Jonah chapter number three and verse number five. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed the fast. They've heard what Jonah had to say concerning the destruction of the sea. They believed God and proclaimed the fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of him. I want you to notice verse number seven. And he, the king of Nineveh, that is, caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, look, neither, let neither man nor beast. Now, this is a peculiar place in scripture. Nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. So this is a fast of food and water. And note, the king says, not only are the people called to the fast, but all their animals. Now, when's the last time you had a fast at your home and you had a little, you know, Toto not eating his dog food? And, and, and let me, let me, the reason why this is vital important, I know this is in Nineveh, but, but this is so vitally important, uh, a major act, because the Jews, Jews really care for their animals. They have, they have laws to protect their animals, uh, they believe that a person should feed their pet before they feed themselves in the day. I'm telling you the truth. They, they, so, that, so for there to be a fast to go out that says we're not eating and neither are the animals is a big, big thing. Amen. Now, this is, this is the word in the scripture. Then you skip down to verse number 10. And God saw their works. 
that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. In other words, God lifted his hand of destruction that he had planned for Nineveh because the people, of course, repented, but they turned to the Lord in fasting and in prayer. Amen. So we, folks, we're kidding ourselves if we think that through prayer and fasting that, you know, it, we're not getting the attention of God. God, God does see. And God does pay attention, amen, to what we are doing. And so regular periods of fasting uh, should, as we've already seen, set in Scripture from the disciples to the early Christians, amen, the Old Testament as well. Regular periods of fasting should be regular or somewhat uh, routine as prayer should be within our lives for keeping our, our flesh humble to keep us in a spirit of humility before God uh, for going to him during times of crisis and disaster and, uh, or just needing direction from him. We need those times of fasting in our lives. And fasting also can just be a part for like Nineveh was, it can be a part of our ongoing life of repentance unto the Lord. Israel fasted at times whenever they repented of falling unto idolatry, falling to serving other gods. First Samuel 7 and verse 6, And they gathered together at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And so when they came to the Lord to repent of having served other gods, they accompanied even with their repentance fasting. All right? We see that Ahab fasted whenever he repented of his wickedness. After hearing the prophecy of Elijah, the Bible records it in 1 Kings 21 and verse 27. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. So he accompanied his, his repentance with fasting as well. Amen. So there's nothing wrong with that. If you found yourself stray from the Lord, amen, and you need to go to God to repent, amen, perhaps you want to accompany fasting with that, showing a level of humility. I will say this as I'm talking about repentance and fasting along with that. Uh, there is never anything in Scripture that mentions the necessity of fasting with our initial repentance of faith, repentance, water baptism, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that I'm trying to tell you. you fasting is a requirement in order to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right? But fasting is a discipline, amen, to help us in our growth experience after we received the Holy Ghost. All right? Amen. And so it can be appropriate then for people to fast and repent before the Lord. As we've already alluded to, also to find the perfect will. I say perfect, the perfect will of God in our lives. Amen. To seek God for direction. It is, it is known for those who have practiced fasting. When you fast, there seems to be an increased sensitivity, amen, to the spirit of the Lord. I heighten it. Now, it may not happen in day one. Day one, you're still dealing with all of the, yeah, your body crying out to you. And you're listening to the voice of that and trying to silence all that. But the, 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 the longer, the, maybe the few more days that you go into that, you're going to grow in a sensitivity, amen, to the spirit. The Bible says, says in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, look at this. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, look, the Holy Ghost said. They're ministering to the Lord and they're, one way in which they're ministering to the Lord is through their fasting. And in that, the Holy Ghost said, the Spirit spoke something. And they were sensitive enough to hear what the Spirit was saying. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So this is important for God's direction sometimes. Uh, we need to step up from just prayer and accompany that with fasting. Here's something else. Now, this is where the circle is drawn real large for us. Fasting is a type of worship. Fasting is a type of worship. Because we understand the precedence of Scripture. That worship, true worship involves sacrifice. All true worship involves sacrifice. And so whenever we consider that, fasting then is a type and a form of worship. 
because we are refraining or sacrificing from natural food. We are foregoing eating as a discipline unto the Lord, and therefore that is a form that is sacrifice. That is a form of worship. Amen. In that time, we are doing as oh good Romans 12 1 says, we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Because again, one of the strongest, I say one of the strongest, one of the strongest desires of the body is for food and nourishment. And whenever we deny it that, we deny it that desire for a period of time and sacrifice that as unto the Lord, then that is an act of worship. It's an act of worship unto the Lord. <clears throat> I mentioned earlier, again, you know, having missed a couple of meals and then looking back on it, well, I fasted too. That's not fasting. All right. Fasting, fasting isn't a hunger strike. Okay. <laughs> it's not some stubborn temper tantrum uh, in which we're trying to force God. Fasting is not a manipulation tool with God. Fasting is not a manipulation tool with God in order to try to coerce God to do what we want him to do. You know, do my will, Lord, rather than thine or whatever. No, fasting is not to be used like that. Reality is fasting should help us bring in us into conformity with his will. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has a toll on the body that just, as days go on, yeah, you, you might go through, you might get hangry, <laughs> right? Be very just unsettling your spirit. But as I said, the, the longer you go, there comes a place that, I don't know what I don't know how to really explain it, and let's tell you just to experience it. Uh, the hunger goes away to a certain degree, the headaches go away, the anger of being hungry goes away, and you're just in a place that I don't know. Uh, you're more malleable, I think, in the hands of the Lord than what you would have been formerly without it, and so it is a very effective spiritual weapon against the adversary. Uh, Fasting, as I said, is not coercing God. It's not putting pressure on God. But I guarantee you, fasting is putting pressure on your adversary. It's putting pressure on your enemy. Because you have brought up that weapon of warfare that's not carnal but mighty through God. That aspect of fasting. Amen. Where the disciples, and here I alluded to this from the very beginning, where the disciples were approached with a particular man that was possessed of an evil spirit. The Bible says that they were unable to cast the evil spirit from the man that whenever the Lord showed up and he did it, they were asking the Lord, Lord, why were we unable to do this? And that's when he gave them those words in Matthew 17. He said, how be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. And so there are certain things in life, difficulties and problems, uh, that just requires a little extra oomph. Hmm? Just a little bit more diligence. And so whenever we do fast, the means in which we should fast, it should be uh, a, a private and a personal devotion unto the Lord on one hand. That is one way that we fast. Very private, very personal devotion into, unto the Lord. Uh, there are times that we do it. Nobody knows that you fasted. Nobody knows that you fasted that day or those three days. You try to make fasting very personal and private at times, very unobtrusive, very unnoticed as possible uh, to those that, that you are around. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse 16, Jesus said, Moreover, he said, when ye fast, and I must point this out. I always love these, the, starting into the Sermon on the Mount. You have the when you fast, when you pray, when you offer your alms which indicates Jesus expected you to give, to fast, and to pray. It's not if, it's when. And so this, is, this falls under that classification as well. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. What happens if there's such a countenance on your face? What's wrong with you? Well, I'm fasting. You know, or maybe you don't say that. You just say, well, I'm hungry. And then it said, well, why don't you? I'm fasting. You know, so, so <laughs> said, don't be as the hypocrites of sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces. 
that they may appear unto men to fast. He says, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, which was a, a cultural daily thing for them at that time, all right, that thou appear unto men, that thou appear not unto men to fast. In other words, that you just, you, you're just going about your life just the way that you would go about your life every other day. You're not trying to draw attention, all right, to anything, but that, that, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father, right? That's, that's the only one that really needs to know. That thy, that thy unto thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, in, and thy father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly for. Amen. And so we have this private, personal times of fasting. Amen. And we can keep that with us and God. We don't have to, you know, let our lip drag the floor. Oh, woe is me. And all this stuff. Try to draw attention to, to the moment. Amen. Don't have to do that. We, we don't, <clears throat> we don't, it's unnecessary to use fasting as some spiritual status of, that we put on our lapel. <laughs> oh, God, help us. Because when we do that, it really violates the purpose. Amen? Because it's a, <laughs> we might need to be going a few more days because it's supposed to be humblingness. <laughs> not, not making us be enriched with pride or, or with this vainglory uh, of status. Amen? Not to be proud, not to be smug. Amen. Because, you know, we fasted, you didn't, whatever, you know, type of thing. We're accompanying this, this with prayer. Again, we notice that prayer, private or public, right? That happens throughout the scripture, private or public. Uh, it can happen as, as a corporate type of thing or not. And I, I see places in scripture also, all right, that we have precedence that fasting can also be a very private, personal thing to ourselves or as there's been proclamations and solemn assemblies for a fast, it can be a collective thing like we have done here at the church at times where we've taken perhaps a week or done and done a seven, seven day fast or so on and so forth. It can be a very collective thing like almost a, com a campaign undertaken, amen, as a body of Christ, all right, uh, for the purpose of, you know, the church or making some headway in our community, so on and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. But even when we do that collectively as a church, even when we do that collectively as a church, it's not for us to leave here as the first apostolic church. We are fasting this week. The great, holy, godly church is fasting. No, let's just try to keep that as a church family in secrecy of devotion with the Lord, and let's just go on about our business and anoint our heads and wash our face and be who we are within our community. Amen. And so it can be undertaken by individual or by a group. Here are some just verses of Scripture. I'm just going to run through these of times that it was by a person. The Bible says, And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. The Bible says, When Ahab heard those words, he fasted as an individual. Daniel sought God by prayer with fasting as an individual. Anna, the widow in the temple, a prophetess, the Bible says, she departed not from the temple according to the scripture, but served God with fasting and prayer. Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, neither did he eat nor drink. He fasted. But there are other, again, times that there are assemblies or groups of people that are fasting such as these. The Bible says, and Samuel said, gather all Israel and they gathered and fasted. The Bible says in Ezra, then I proclaimed a fast. So we fasted and besought our God. The children of Israel and Nehemiah were assembled with fasting. Again, it's a group of people. Joel, in our scripture text, he called a solemn assembly. He sanctified a fast. He gathered the people to do this. In Jonah as well, the whole city of Nineveh, they proclaimed a fast from the greatest even to the least. And so this can be a very private, personal devotion, or this may be a collective devotion of a body of people. The main thing is this, when you approach it, approach it with the right spirit and the right behavior. Right? Done with sincerity. Done with obedience unto the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We don't want to, just the same as prayer, we have scriptures telling us about, uh, you know, repetitious, using vain repetitions. You don't want to just mindlessly, 
You don't want to mindlessly fast. You want to be sincere. You want to be focused. You don't, because just the same as prayer can become routine, all right, meaning that it can be habit forming, you can do it just because it's just what you do every week and not be engaged in what you're doing. You can get a fast day. Well, I fast every Tuesday. You can do that. But over a period of time, you might get to a place that it is. And let me even say this. It might be good for you not always to fast Tuesday. The reason why, your body will grow accustomed to not having food on Tuesday. I'm just saying. This is the dynamics of our bodies. It will grow accustomed to not have food on Tuesday. And I'm trying to be a, a... it won't be as much as a sacrifice over a period of time if you always do Tuesday because your body becomes accustomed to that. But if you change it to a different day that your body's usually normally having food and it don't have food on that day, you're going to start feeling some of those things that you felt whenever you first ever fasted all over again. All right? And so uh, and that's just kind of a very practical thing that I'm just trying to share with you today. If you're just set on a particular day and you always do that, and I, God bless you, I thank you for your regularity and your habit in that but don't let it become just some meaningless thing all right you might need to switch that day around and when you find yourself becoming your body becoming accustomed to that switch it around again or do a different period of time uh, because we, we we want we want this to be purposeful all right and, and and engage in it with with our hearts with our minds amen with our bodies hallelujah and so uh, in Luke 18 and 12 for instance uh, one came saying, I, uh, I think it's when we have the, the, the publican that's over here, a sinner that's praying, and the other one uh, that comes praying, and he says, I fast twice in the week, see? He had his routine, or whatever, at least spoken. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Amen. And there's nothing, I don't want you to think that I'm speaking negatively about these things. Just because uh, we have the saying concerning this man that says, you know, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, Lord, here am I, you know, praying unto you, and I fast twice a week, and I give my tithes of all that I possess. Just because somebody is approaching with wrong behavior and wrong wrong behavior and wrong spirit toward those things does not mean that there's something wrong with fasting, giving, and praying. And what I'm trying to say is we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, all right? Uh, Sure, anybody can take any of those things, prayer, fasting, and getting, they can pollute them. Uh, if they pass through the hands of man, they can contaminate them. They can pollute them with the wrong attitude or the wrong purpose, so on and so forth. But that doesn't mean that we just throw it all away. That means that we just readjust our attitude and our behavior, amen, with these things that the Lord, amen, has, has asked of us and that we have throughout the Scripture. And so when you fast, you fast, it may be an absolute, total, complete fast, or it may be more of a partial fast. And what I mean by that is this. It might be a time that you're not consuming food while you're fasting, All right. Or you might not even be maybe perhaps you do a fast where you're not consuming food and water or maybe you're just not doing it for a meal. So it can be as as involved or as as not as possible. For instance, there are many times and I I know probably most people don't do this, but there are many times in Scripture that people did fast without food and drink. In Deuteronomy. And I know this is Moses and this is the 40 day, 40 night thing. Neither did I eat bread or drink water. Folks, that is a supernatural, that is a supernatural calling right there. But there's other places like in Ezra. Ezra did eat no bread nor drink water. Esther, go gather all the Jews, she says, right? Uh, there's, there's things going on. Her people's going to be annihilated if she doesn't do something. And fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink Three days, night and day. Acts, they neither did eat nor drink. And I have these references if you need them or want them. This is the 14th day in Acts also. This is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. So there are times, and I understand, and I, listen, with this, I understand we got to use wisdom. We must, uh, I, I push on that aspect of it as well. Uh, they say that the human body, uh, the typical human body can go without food for 21 days. And that uh, the typical human body can go without water three to four days. And the reason why you don't get much beyond that concerning uh, three or four days with water because 60% of your human body is made up of water. 
All right. And so I'm not asking anybody to go out and be ignorant and start a 40-day fast without food or water. And try to be like Jesus. You might die, but you're not going to resurrect. <laughs> Amen. But and I understand we got to listen and say, well, Brother McGee, there might be those that are playing the, the devil's advocate. Brother McGee, I got health issues. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything negatively about your health issues. If you got health concerns that uh, does not allow you to fast, then you, you just can't. And I believe the Lord understands that. But, you know, again, it may not be just a total meal, like I said. Maybe you have a certain snack that you like. You can refrain from that. And that sacrifices worship through fasting unto the Lord. And so I would even say if you're going to go on anything lengthy that is uncommon for you, you might want to consult your physician. I'm just being wise here. Consult your physician and physician and see if, 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 that is, if that is something okay, amen, for you physically as in your health. Uh, we, we have, when we, let me talk again. When we talk about the 40 days, we have no record of any of the disciples Fasting for 40 days. The only people we ever have is Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. That's all we ever have. All right? And so we got to remember with all of this, we got to remember that these, this is the temple of the Holy Ghost. All right? And so we got to take care of our bodies. We can't neglect them. We can't abuse them. All right? Uh, we can't damage them. Amen. Even if it's fasting, we can't damage them. We got to be, we got to be aware, amen, of, of these things. Hallelujah. Give me just about five more minutes. I know I'm look, I, five minutes. All right. And we'll wrap this up. <clears throat> so it may be partial. It may be partial. Here is Daniel fast. All right. Speaking of Daniel chapter 10 and verse three, Daniel says, I ate no pleasant food. I ate no pleasant, food, pleasant bread rather. Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. 21 days, all right? He avoided all pleasant or enjoyable food. On a Daniel fast, typically you can have fruits and you can have vegetables. That's unseasoned vegetable. No pleasant food, okay? Unseasoned vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds. You're, you're, you don't eat meat. You do not eat dairy. You do not eat sugars. You only consuming water. You can have the the beans, or I guess what's legumes is that's what it's called. L e g u m e s is that right? It's not every bean is a legume, all right. But you can have certain beans and peas and lentils on that as well. So we're just talking about unpleasant bread for twenty one days. You can do that. A lot of churches do this in the beginning of their year. But uh, you're eating, but it's not necessarily the most enjoyable experience in life. Okay. All right, you might think after a while, fruits and vegetables, well, yeah, and that's the, listen, 21 days of that, <laughs> you're going to have been sacrificing, amen. But you can also fast by separating yourself from other comforts. Some people, if you are a soda pop, whatever drinker, if you fast from your caffeine or you're a coffee drinker, fast from your caffeine for a few days. You want to talk about sacrifice? And we'll talk about headaches too. Amen, will take place. So it might be something like that. Maybe you're a sweet tooth person. You always have to have something sweet. Every day something sweet. Man, do away with the sweets uh, for a period of time. And let that be your fasting. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. I'm ending right now. So fasting can take place for very periods of times. We have precedents in Scripture that there's people that fasted for one night, one day, three days, seven days, 14 days, 21 days. And as I already said, 40 days. So there's all kinds of different fasts. But let's consider some of the uh, things that have come about. Moses, yes, I know it was a 40-day fast. But Moses, after fasting, he received the Ten Commandments on the Mount of God. Elijah, after fasting, he heard the word of the Lord speaking to him. Nineveh, after fasting, their city was spared. Jesus, after fasting there, that wilderness experience, the Bible says he returned, started his earthly ministry in the power of the Spirit. Cornelius fasted, received a message from God through an angel. Huh? And then a message from the apostle Peter that led to his salvation. All right? The apostles gave themselves the fasting and prayer and the word. And guess what? The Acts records that they turned their world upside down. Hallelujah. And so we engage in this as we wait for our bridegroom. Amen today. I'm going to close next week. We'll start looking at stewardship.
Amen. I'm going to start looking at stewardship in the church. Amen. I'm going to close today. Please incorporate fasting within your prayer and your daily, your, your, your devotion, rather not necessarily daily, but your devotion unto the Lord. Worship him in that manner. Father, I come to you today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.